We're in Galatians 5, as the slide behind me shows. Galatians 5, we're in the second half of that chapter. Those of you that have been here any time at all know that we've been in Galatians for most of the school year, and uh, we're rounding the corner. The light is getting brighter at the end of the tunnels. We see chapter 6 coming around the corner. We look at Galatians 5, we're going to be reading verses 16 down through verse 25. Follow along as I read. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy, drunkenness and orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but... The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. That's the Word of God. This is what God has to say to us today. Uh, We're going to be looking at today's passage in two portions, two pieces. This morning we have the first bite that we're going to take out of it. And as I was talking to Kit before the service, I wouldn't say that this is a topical message, but we're going to be looking at what's going on here as far as walking with the Spirit And we're going to dial our focus out. We're going to look at all of Galatians in regards to what Paul has to say to the church of Galatia regarding the Holy Spirit. And we're actually going to back out a little bit further and look to some other key New Testament passages that address this even further so that when we come to this next week, I think things will be really sharp, really focused in regards to what Paul's instructing them to do and what the rest of this passage has to say. We know the core message, the message of the book of Galatians, is salvation by grace alone. You should just shut your eyes and it should just kind of flow off your tongue at this point, right? Through faith alone, in Christ alone. If you haven't walked away from the book of Galatians at this point, I have failed in my responsibility if you don't understand that. And so important, no works of the law required. In fact, if we add our works in addition to grace, we have created an entirely different beast. It's something completely different. It's a different gospel entirely, which is exactly what Galatians chapter 1 told us. Galatians chapter 1 verse 6 and 7 says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, not that there is another one, But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So the dilemma being addressed in this portion in the book of Galatians, as we see this big umbrella, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is regarding our freedoms in Christ. 
if we are free in Christ and we're saved purely of grace, by grace, through faith, Paul's saying we're free. We're no longer slaves. Remember the issue. You're no longer of the slave woman, but you are now free. You're no longer under a guardian, but you've been set free. So if we're free in Christ, and there's no works of the law required, how in the world are we supposed to know how we're supposed to live? Does this just mean we can do anything we want? Does this just mean, as some would say, just let go and let God? We can just live free and happy, right? Is that what he's saying? Can we just do anything we want? For us as followers of Christ, these are hopefully obvious answers to these questions, but for us as followers of Jesus Christ, are there any, are there any moral boundaries that are in my life at all? Or can I just do anything? Because grace covers it all. Do I just eat, drink, and be merry since grace has covered it all? This is another passage you should know extremely well at this point. Paul would say there's a problem. What shall we say then? Are we continue to sin that grace may abound? I would insert, obviously not. By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Take this back to Galatians chapter 5, the passage we just read. This brings us to some important principles. This is where we're going to start backing our focal point out to look at the book of Galatians and say, so then how in the world are we supposed to know? What are we supposed to do? Who? What? What guides us as we walk in this life as followers of Jesus Christ? Our sin has been covered. How do we know how we're supposed to live? Paul points us to the Holy Spirit. He points us to the Holy Spirit in our freedom. And the first thing we're going to talk about this morning is the indwelling of that Holy Spirit. Uh, This is something that I think is really important, that as I've had numerous conversations and I hear things that are being talked about in our congregation, this is an important thing that we need to clarify as a church family so we can understand what it means, as I spoke to the children, to walk with the Holy Spirit. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Paul says the answer to this question resides in this issue of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. God, who has indwelled every single believer in Jesus Christ at the moment of salvation, he indwells us. He lives within us. If you're writing notes, these are important things to write down. Just a couple quick little phrases. No Holy Spirit... No salvation. Hear that. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is not a latter experience. And Paul's really developed that well in this book of Galatians. We're going to see that in just a minute. The Word of God makes it clear that the presence of the Holy Spirit is the proof. He is the evidence that your salvation is real. If there's no evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life, There is a moment to step back and say, where do I stand with Christ? I might say something, but if he's not evident in my life, I have a problem. There's a problem that's there. So when we look at the book of Galatians, Paul has very plainly explained this, but in light of particular what we see here in Galatians 5, some of the principles he talks about in chapter 3 and chapter 4 are really sharp. They're really plain when it comes to these, these points that I'm asserting at this point. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come. This isn't profound, and Kit alluded to this a minute ago. It's in John chapter 16 that we see the promise of the Holy Spirit coming. John 16, verses 5 through 7 say this, 
But now I am going to him who sent me. These are the words of Christ. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow, because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, that it is to your advantage. It's better for you that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, the helper is a person. This isn't some ambiguous force. This isn't some kind of the force in that we would see, you know, uh, Anakin Skywalker tapping into. This isn't something like this at all. This is the very person, the third person of the Trinity, God himself, the Holy Spirit. This is who Jesus is speaking about. He says, it is to your advantage that I go. Now, when we think about this, there's some things that we have to recognize, and I think this fits into the message of Galatians as well. Why does Jesus say it's better? Well, first and foremost, it's better that he ascend and go to the right hand of God the Father to be seated next to God the Father. Why? Because that's a proclamation that my work is finished. It's done. There are no works of the law that need to be added to grace. This work is completed. That's one aspect of it. But particularly here in John chapter 16, excuse me, John 16, he, he makes it really clear the reason it's better is not just that the work is finished, is that as I depart and I leave you here, my physical representation, my follow, the followers of Jesus Christ, later identified as the body of Christ, we become the physical manifestation of Christ in this world. It's better for you because you, my followers, will now receive the Helper. God the Holy Spirit. This means that God himself, the Holy Spirit, will and does come and reside in each and every person who has received the grace gift of salvation by grace through faith in Christ sola, alone. The one who was once dead in their trespasses and sin, that's all of us, by the way, In sin, we have been conceived. By nature, we are sinners. This is who we are in our sin. The sinner, us, who was formerly the object of God's wrath. This is all under the assumption that you know Christ is your Savior. We were formerly the objects of God's wrath. We have now been transformed. That which is dead has now been made alive. It's a biblical expression. We have been born alive, born again. We have now been made alive in Christ. We have been regenerated. We have been made alive. We have been transformed in these regards. And at that instant, at that moment, remember this. Salvation is not something that's a progression. It's instantaneous. There will be a moment, and many of us will talk about our testimonies of faith in Christ in, G- in Jesus Christ, and we'll say, you know, I don't know exactly when that moment was, but I know where my faith is. I know I have trusted him. And I'll often talk about the fact that when I get to eternity and I get to look at the Lamb's book of life, I'm going to see my name there, and I want to see the date next to it. Because I'm not sure when that date was. But that doesn't mean my salvation was progressive. There was an instant when I passed from death into life. And in that instant... God himself, the Holy Spirit, indwelled me. Not that I'm unique. This is true of every one of us who are a follower of Jesus Christ. 
the very nature, the very power of God, the very person of the Holy Spirit now resides within each and every one of us who know Jesus Christ. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now, it's upon that doctrine, it's upon that premise that Paul addresses something to the church of Gal- churches of Galatia. That Paul builds his teaching regarding how we're to walk in freedom as we follow Christ in harmony, holding hands, walking with the Spirit. The evidence of true salvation for every believer, believer is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This is not an abstract teaching. This is not obscure stuff. Some of you might be going, hey, this feels like a systematic theology class. By the way, it's tomorrow night, guys. Some of you might be sitting there thinking this. If you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I don't know how to make it more profoundly sharp how practical this is for each and every one of us. God, 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 the Holy Spirit, lives within you. Think about that, guys. It's not that there is my Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit. This is not a small case S. This is capital case, the person, God himself, the Holy Spirit, resides within us. If you are a true child of God, then you are indwelt by God, the Holy Spirit. And and I'm going to repeat that a lot this morning. I want you to know that. I want you to get that. I want you to hang on to that. I want that to be super clear as we work through this text this morning. That if you are a believer, if you are a new creation in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit of God within you. The confirmation for the Galatians in regards to the authenticity of their salvation. You ready? It was not the result of them doing the works of the law. That was the whole point. Paul's saying, it isn't the law. It isn't the ritual law. It isn't circumcision, right? It isn't those Sabbath days. It isn't what you eat. There's something that's taken place within you as you have placed your faith in Christ. You've been transformed. And part of that transformation is you now have the very nature of God in the Holy Spirit who resides within you. And this is not a result of your works. Turn back in your Bibles to Galatians 3. I could have projected these, but I want you to use your Bibles. I want you to see these texts in front of you, whether you're using a digital device or a paper copy, you can do this. Galatians 3, he builds this point. Verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. What's Paul simply saying there? We talked about this. He's saying, we personally brought this message of the gospel and his crucifixion before. You've heard this. You've had this explained to you personally. Verse 2. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? You hear this? This is the indwelling he's talking about here. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Huh. There's nothing you did. 
There's no external work that you had to do. There's no second tier. There's no secondary action that you needed to do in order to receive the Holy Spirit. How did you receive the Holy Spirit? Through faith. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Verse 3, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Are you being perfected by your good works? Absolutely not. It's the, you ready? Progressive, not salvation, but the sanctification, the work that the Holy Spirit's doing in you now to mature you, to make you holy, to make you like Christ. It's not you that's doing it. It's the Holy Spirit who's doing that. Verse 4, did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works of miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? You guys, his argument is all about our freedom in Christ and the fact that there's nothing you've done to justify yourself, but implanted within this, the evidence of their salvation, salvation by grace alone through faith alone, is not what, it's who. It's the Holy Spirit. To say this as bluntly as possible, if you do not have the Holy Spirit of God residing within you, you're not a child of God. But we say that in the positive. It's because you are a child of God that God has given His Spirit and He lives within you. No second tiers, no graduated process. This is a reality. God, excuse me, Paul associates the indwelling of the Holy Spirit with faith not a latter experience. This is clearly something that has only come hearing with faith. It's salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and this is where the Holy Spirit comes. The point is this. There are not two classes of Christians. There are not two groups of people who have been justified before the Father in Christ, and some have the Holy Spirit, and some do not. If you are a new creation in Christ, remember I told you I'd repeat this? You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Every single believer in Jesus Christ is indwelt by God himself, the Holy Spirit. And this is like a Ron Popeil commercial. But wait, there's more. And if you order now, I'm not even going to charge you shipping. Some of you are laughing for my sake. Galatians 4. He continues the argument. Galatians 4, look at verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, by the way, we're using lots and lots of similes to describe the same condition, to be a born-again Christian, to be regenerated, to be alive in Christ, to be a Christian, to be saved. What's the word used here? Same condition, to be redeemed, to be purchased back from our sin. To redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now look at verse 6. This is causation. There's a connection here. And because you are sons, connect that back to verse 5. Because you're adopted. Because you've been redeemed. Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his son into our hearts. If you are a child of God, if you are adopted, you are indwelt. There's no other way to look at this. 
And if you're questioning that or you're thinking there's something you need to do as a latter experience or there's some kind of a sign or action or process you need to do in order to receive the Holy Spirit, honestly, I'll make this less pronounced. We have a problem with the Word of God if we're looking at it that way. I don't know how to say this more plainly. This is from the very passage of Scripture we're looking at. God's Word is making it clear, the Word of God, because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. It's because. It's causation. It's the natural outcome. It's the clear expectation of being a child of God. So here's the point of all of this. What are we looking at in Galatians? Why has Paul shifted gears and now talking about the Holy Spirit? Since we're free in Christ, since there are no works of the law required, how are we supposed to know how we're supposed to live? Can I just let go and let God? Can I just do anything I want? Can I just do anything I want? Are there any moral boundaries in my life? The word that would be used in other aspects in the New Testament is antinomianism. Can we just be free and just do anything we want because grace covers it all? What did Paul say in the book of Romans? By no means. We don't do this that grace would abound. And we know, we know really personally, don't we? we might, it, might be less, it might be more obscure to us, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We might really need to dwell on that a little bit. But we do know this very plainly, that we wrestle with the flesh. And Paul has called us more than one time to resist the flesh. I want you to look back to Galatians 5 now, our passage that we looked at. Look at verse 19. Verse 19 says this. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Another translation says that they're manifest. They're made known. They're plain to us. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality. Impurity. Sensuality. Idolatry. Sorcery. Enmity. Strife. I think this is interesting some of the things that are listed here, we kind of list as like the biggies, you know, like the big sins that are in, our, in people's lives. It's really interesting. The works of the flesh continue on. It's enmity, it's strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, enviness, or envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I don't know. Sometimes it's easy to look at a list like this and say, man, I'm like a Pharisee. I'm sure glad they wrestle with those things and I don't. But if we're going to be really honest, we can look at a list like this and say, because I'm in this flesh, I wrestle with all these kinds of things. We're going to be honest. And when we look at this, we might say, how in the world when I look at a list like this, if I'm a new creation in Christ and, and I'm no longer dead in my trespasses and sin, if God the Holy Spirit's in me, why in the world am I struggling with these things? It's because we're still bound in this flesh. First John chapter 1, verse 9, not 1, 9, but First John chapter 1 very plainly proclaims, if any man says that he has no sin, he's a liar. We know we wrestle with these things. Again, Paul points us to the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Paul addresses these questions by pointing them to the Holy Spirit who's within us. Look at verse 16. Look back up just a little bit. But I say, 
walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, which, by the way, is the list we just read a second ago in verse 19. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Paul's list there in in verse 16, the desires of the flesh, and we see it correlated to verses 19 to 21, which, by the way, is not an exhaustive list. That's not what he's trying to tell us at all. He says, for such are some of these. This is a representative list. If you think that you can avoid doing those kinds of things, then you got the flesh beat, I guarantee you're going to find some other things to add to that list. Recognize the fact that this is not an exhaustive list. What's the flesh? Remember we addressed this last week. John MacArthur defined it. Flesh does not refer to the physical body. It doesn't mean this flesh that we have is evil and awful. It means we still wrestle with this nature that's within us. But the sinful inclinations of fallen mankind, the former self, those supreme, or excuse me, whose supreme desire is to do its own will and to satisfy its sinful appetites, it's a synonym for sinful self-will. Our self-will desires these, these actions, these matters of the flesh. And in verse 19, he says, the works of the flesh are evident. To look at just uh, my Greek dictionary, it talks about the fact that these are evident means they are shining, they're apparent, they're public, they're public, they're external, to appear, to be, no, to be made known, to manifest, open, outwardly. Let's be obvious. When, when we look to the works of the flesh, we know what we're talking about. And the works of the flesh that I might struggle with might be different than what you struggle with, or they might be manifest in different ways, but we know what we're talking about. You guys, again, what does Paul say? Look to the Spirit who indwells you. You've not been left alone, powerless to grunt this out. God the Holy Spirit is working within you to empower you to do the work you need to do to see victories in these matters. Verse 16 again. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against. They're competing. They're in contrast against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So he says, walk by the Spirit. What does he mean by that? brings us to our second point, to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. I think where we're going right now is the primary place where many Christians really struggle and get confused. You are indwelt. You ready? Hear this. It does not mean that you are always controlled by him. You're not always controlled by him. It's an important principle. Everyone here, this is, this is not ambiguous or obscure. This is practical for every one of us. There's a tremendous amount of confusion. There's lots and lots of incorrect teaching floating around in the church and around the church and outside the church regarding these very matters. Remember, I don't know if I made this clear. Uh, Write this down, because I don't know if I said this well enough before. Every single Christian is indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Did you write that down? I don't want you to forget that. Write this down. 
but not every one of us are controlled by him. That's important. We are not always controlled by him. There will be days, there will be moments, there will be instances, there will be seasons when he is not in control and the flesh is. And that's a problem. And what does Paul say? Don't walk by the flesh. Don't walk in harmony with the flesh. You need to press into being controlled or to walk with the Holy Spirit. To make this distinction between indwelling and filling with the Holy Spirit, we need to make this very plain. Being indwelled is a reality. You have that. You have that if you are an adopted child of God. He is within you. But being filled or controlled, you ready? As a Christian, you're commanded to do that. You're commanded to walk with the Spirit. You're instructed to do this. This is something that tells us when we're commanded or instructed to do this, this means it's not all our job, but we have a responsibility in this. It doesn't mean just let, God go, just let go and let God do this in us. It means we need to do something to subject ourselves to the Holy Spirit in our lives. Look to verse 16 from our passage, chapter 5. How does he describe this? In verse 16, he says, walk by the Spirit. Scroll your eyes down to verse 18. Be led by the Spirit. Go down to verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This is something we're instructed, we're commanded to do, to walk. The term of walk is a common New Testament statement. It's a common term that's used to talk about these principles. This word used in the correct context, in this context that we're using it here, it refers to something that's continuous, something that's ongoing, something that is a motion. It, buries the, it carries the idea of abiding or being in harmony, the idea of keeping in step, walking in accord, to abide with one another. Walk with the Holy Spirit. This is a completely different principle in the New Testament, but I think it illustrates this well. We are very familiar with words that talk about not being unequally yoked with an unbeliever, right? Think about that principle in relationship to the Holy Spirit and walking under the control of the Holy Spirit. To be unequally yoked is this picture of taking two beasts of burden of very different type and yoking or harnessing them together to do a labor, a job, a task. We would never take a donkey and an oxen and harness them together. It would not work. They have different gates, different strides. I know for a fact they have different temperaments. If you were to harness these two beasts of burden together in their different sizes and mentalities, are you ready? It would be a rodeo. It doesn't work. That's the idea if we take that negative picture and we take it to what's being spoken of here with the Holy Spirit. You guys, as new creations in Christ, as the church, we each individually have God the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Don't compete with that. Walk with him. Abide with him. Don't be a donkey and an oxen. Think about that. Don't turn it into a rodeo. Walk in harmony with God who dwells within you. We're told in order to keep, to keep the flesh, to keep the flesh from ruling in our lives, we need to walk with the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, and keep in step with the Spirit. 
We see this principle also addressed in the book of Ephesians. Turn over in your book. Keep Galatians marked. Turn over in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5. And as you look at Ephesians 5, look at verse 15. And I'm going to tell you we're going to come back and forth to Ephesians a couple different times, so keep that marked. Here's this word, walk again, in verse 15. Look, pay attention. That's the idea. Open your eyes. He says literally, carefully. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best of the time because the days are evil. Which, by the way, that's not an address of our personal flesh or our nature. It's the world that we live in. Okay? This cosmos would be the way that we might describe that. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You want to know what God's will for your life is? Here's your answer. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is interesting, and we often will use this as a proof text to talk about not being, not the, the abuses of alcohol, which is a truth, but that's actually not the point of what he says here. The point is, he's talking about walking, and he contrasts that with this picture of drunkenness. Do you know what it looks like to be drunk? Have you seen someone who's drunk before? Slurred speech, unstable steps, hmm, unstable in the way they move, the loss of both motor and emotional skills. Uh, that's the picture. He says, you guys, don't walk this Christian life like a drunk Instead, but in contrast, as followers of Jesus Christ, who are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, walk under Him. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is an important qualification for some of us who have had false teaching in our past regarding this. This is not a latter experience. This is not a sensational experience. This means that we are allowing God who indwells us, we are submitting ourselves to him, and we're allowing him to control our lives. We're commanded to do that. This is a command that is built on the reality that we who have been saved are already indwelt. And since we're indwelt, we need to walk under the control, be led, or live by the Spirit. Another way to say this, don't let your lusts, Don't let your passions, don't let your flesh rule in your life. You need to let the Holy Spirit rule in your life. Walk with God who resides within you. Allow the Holy Spirit to control you. Allow the Holy Spirit to fill you. Walk with Him. Galatians 5 again, look at verse 17. Galatians 5, 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. You guys, too many of us walk the Christian life trying to figure out how we can straddle this fence. How close to this line can I get without crossing the line of sin? And What Paul's plainly saying is, don't walk that walk. Don't you get it? These two choices are in complete contrast in opposition to each other. Rather than trying to feed your flesh and walk as a follower of Jesus Christ, 
Submit yourself to the Holy Spirit. Be filled with him. Let him be the one who leads you. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. I'll project this one for you. Ephesians 2 verses 1 and 3. This is a familiar passage that we know in about the message of salvation by grace alone through faith alone. We just see that in verses 8 and 9 from this passage. But look at this and always read this section from Ephesians 2 in the proper tense. These are words spoken to us as followers of Jesus Christ. It says, And you, past tense, were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you former once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Present tense in that case. Verse 3, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of what? Our flesh. Galatians 5. We all used to walk that way. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. See what's being stated here? What Paul's pointing out in Ephesians 2 is, that's who you used to be. Why in the world are you trying to keep walking that way? What's the remedy? What's the cure? Who has God provided to us to give us the power to have the victory over this flesh? It's God, the Holy Spirit himself, who indwells you. But you need to walk with him. You need to submit yourself to him. You need to be in harmony with him. Instead, walk in step with the Spirit of God who is already within you. So, here's the million-dollar question as we get right to the very end of what we're looking at this morning. How do we do this? We're going to see some of those answers next week, but let's touch on it right now. How do we walk with the Spirit? We're commanded to do this. It's our third and final point, and it'll come to a conclusion pretty quickly here. First of all, walking with, walking, excuse me, let me read that again. All that walking the Christian, let me read that all again. I actually don't know what I did to this sentence. What I was trying to say there is walking this Christian life under the control of the Holy Spirit is not purely a matter of the will. This is important. This is not the moment that you just put your head down and press harder. This is not a try harder. You just got to work at it a little bit more. That isn't what's being stated here. On the other hand, and I want to make this clear, that doesn't absolve you of your responsibility. You have a duty. We have been called to submit ourselves in this way. Two, walk with the Holy Spirit. It is a matter of choice. It is a matter of obedience. And because the flesh is ever-present in my life, I need to intentionally, actively, moment by moment, day by day, interaction by interaction, encounter by encounter, choose and be intentional to submit myself to the work of the Holy Spirit and walk with Him in those particular cases. And I don't know if you can relate to me. I wonder if maybe you're doing better than I am. But there are so many times I have those encounters, those moments, those exchanges, and I step away and I realize I failed. Didn't do it very well. Should have done that better. That's the moment we reset, we confess, we know it's covered, it's been paid for, 
And we say, and now I choose in this moment to walk under the control of the Spirit, to submit myself to Him in this. The flesh is ever-present in my life. I have to actively choose to be led by the control of the Holy Spirit. Remember, we're commanded to be filled. We're commanded to be controlled. We're commanded to walk by the Holy Spirit. That tells me I have a role or a duty. I think this is a very long list, and for the sake of time and what we're doing, I have two points of how we should do this, okay? A and B. First one I have for us um, is that we need to recognize that we need a responsibility to the fellowship of the household of faith. The family language that has been used all throughout the book of Galatians is not an accident. This is the plural concept of what we share together as the household of God. This is because salvation is not only about your personal life with Christ, it's about what we have mutually been called in together as we, the household of faith, the church, have been called to walk with the Holy Spirit who individually dwells each one of us, but us together corporately. God has called us mutually into this life of Christ together. This is, some of you will recognize this expression, it's a very common New Testament expression. This is about the one another's of the New Testament for the church. This is about that plural aspect of who we are together. This is not about I. This is not about me. This is not about my. This is about us. This is about what we share together and our mutual duty to each other. You cannot walk this way alone. Ephesians chapter 5, again, verses 7 to, or 17 and t- through 21. This is interesting. When he's talking about this idea of being submitted to walk under the Holy Spirit, look, look, at, look at where he goes. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We talked about that. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything and to God in his name, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know what's really interesting about this? This is a call for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit individually But what does he point to? One of the ways that we do this is in relationship to what we corporately share together as we worship as the household of faith. That's really interesting. When we come together as prescribed by God, we don't just randomly come together on a Sunday morning and just do what feels good to us. We are working, we are intentionally looking to the New Testament and saying, what does the New Testament say about what needs to be the components of our corporate worship together? There are many things that are important about that, but one thing that we can extrapolate kind of in a backwards way is when we're faithful to these components of corporate worship that God calls us to as the household of faith, it helps each one of you, me individually, to be filled with the Spirit, to give glory to God in doing that. When we assemble together in worship, when we come together in fellowship, when we come together to be under the teaching of the Word, when we rightly practice the ordinances that we share together as the church, God works in that and does a work of filling us 
that we would not be controlled by the flesh, but that we would walk as he desires us to. Look to Colossians chapter 3. This is a new passage. We're just going to cite it really quickly because I'm running out of time. Colossians 3.12, but it's the same concept. It says this in Colossians 3, starting with verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. By the way, this is what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to walk with the Spirit. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Excuse me. There's a uniqueness, a peculiarity to what we share together as the church. What we share together right now as the church, you guys, you can't find it anywhere else. It's only found in what we share together as the local church. It's not that we just have it as this local church, but as the church, what we share together. We can only have this as the church as we share these things together. If this is your church, we need to press harder into this. We, think about this, each one of us individually are indwelled by God the Holy Spirit. Think about how cool it is, and you can identify with this when you're traveling or you meet somebody new and you recognize this is a brother, this is a sister in Christ. Think about that immediate, uh, that immediate uh, bond that you share, that recognition. We're together in this. How much more so is it when we come together as brothers and sisters in Christ, a couple hundred of us on the Sunday morning, as we are intentionally covenanted together to do this, each one of us individually dwelled, together corporately as indwelled believers in Jesus Christ, there is something special about this. How much more manifoldly greater is the truth that is true in the fact that we are together submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. When the local church assembles for the purpose of worship, for the purpose of edification, for the teaching of the word of God, to share together in the ordinances and everything that we do as we pray and do these other matters, you guys, you can't be in fellowship with the Holy Spirit who dwells within you without this. If you are trying to walk alone, if you're trying to live on a spiritual island, if you're trying to isolate yourself and say, I can be filled with the Holy Spirit all by myself, you got it wrong. And here's what's really cool about this. I'm preaching to the choir right now. Because you're here. But be fortified in that. What we share together, not just in this one hour, but in the fellowship, in the times of Bible study, the times of encouragement, the personal discipleship, the things that we share together, this is all about how we are taking intentional forward steps to be filled, to walk, to be uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to be walking and to be putting off the flesh. If you desire to walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh, you cannot do this alone. It's best found 
when you intentionally make the church the very center of your life and your world. Not the fringe. Not the twice a month. Not the hour a week. When you choose to make this relationship the center of your world. Not the least, the most. One more point. I'm going to hit it super fast. Feast on the word. I'm going to summarize this really quickly and figure out how to tie this together next week. You guys, when we look to the armor of God that we're called to put on in Ephesians chapter 6, we can look at a passage just like this one. I'll see if I can get to it quickly. Ephesians six seventeen. We know that we're called to put on the helmet of salvation, but more so we see here, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Those aren't different armaments, we might say. It is the Word of God. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, His sword in your life is the Word of God. If you're trying to feast, if you're trying to feed yourself in an hour of church a week, you're starving yourself. If you're trying to feed yourself in your time of feeding and spending time in fellowship with the Holy Spirit who empowers, who is the one who empowers the Word of God in your life, and you're trying to do that through five minutes of our daily bread a day, you're starving yourself. As a pastor friend of mine once said, it's our daily crumb, not our daily bread. It's not, it's not enough to expect others to feed you and you coast along on their tail wings. It is your duty It is your calling. It is your responsibility as you are pressed into this duty of walking with the Spirit to to crave, to live on, to feed, to feast on the very Word of God. These aren't great application questions, but just think about this. How much time did you spend in the Word last week? How hard was it to find your Bible before you went to church this morning? Isn't it convenient that we don't have to worry about it anymore because it's on our telephone? When you think about how much time you spent in the Word this week, how does that compare to the time you spent on the meta platforms this week? The Word of God is the means, it is the way in which the Holy Spirit works and drives in your life. It is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, and with this I'll close. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Galatians 5.25 If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit.